Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. October, the month of the Rosary, and each of the mysteries of the Rosary commemorate a monumental event in the life of Jesus. And um, we're going to take time with Steve Ray to look at people, the places, the actions that are entailed in each of the mysteries of the Rosary. And we're also going to take some time, though, we'll lead off by uh, getting Steve's fix on what's been going on in Israel. You just got back in time. Yeah, we got back October 5th. Yeah. Turned on the news the next day and heard that the roof had blown off. So Unbelievable. We, had, we were there for the whole month of September. You, I had we've a, not seen anything quite like this before, have we? Well, you know, earlier, not in the last decade or two, but yeah. it's, you know, 1960. Well, 67, and you're right. And those kinds. But this is the first time Israel's declared war since yeah. 1968. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a much bigger deal. We've always had these cycles that we go to where there's some fighting and some missiles and it's in the news and then it's off the news and Americans forget and they're back in Israel in two months and every, all the holy sites are full again. And then something happens and all, all the trips are canceled and then yeah. they come back again. This might be a little longer. This, yeah. uh, this one has a different feel to it. Even the people I know say it could take till the end of this year. Um, if you don't know what Israel's going to do, see Israel could flatten Gaza in a second. Yeah, if they if they wanted to, right. if they if they if they were to do uh, to uh, the residents of Gaza what Hamas did yes. on October seventh, right. they'd be blown out of the water. Right, and, and the fact is blown is that, into the water. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. They they have. A very similar view that we do of a just war theory is that you kill combatants, you don't kill innocent people. They could have gone in and and just obliterated Gaza, but they're they're not wanting to hurt people. And uh, the, but the Hamas uses them as human shields. They shoot missiles out of schools and hospitals. So when Israel retaliates to from where that missile came, they. You know, yeah. it's, they, it's more of a propaganda war even in some ways than it is of, of, of military war because Hamas is using – and they're succeeding in that. Just look at the yeah. universities across the country and the people who are supporting Hamas. Yeah. Um, they're in, worse in than the, ISIS. In the, lack, in the lack of authentic conversation about this. Yeah. It's, it, this is – the left has seized this to make Israel uh, appear the aggressor yeah. without any respect for uh, the – the legal process going back to the founding of the right. state of Israel. People, I think people don't realize that the Palestinians, there was a plan for the Palestinians to get the land. Right. And they rejected it. And Israel does not want that land. Right. And, and they want the war over it. Yeah. So imagine this. You're, see, you see yourself as a besieged minority, which uh, Jewish people certainly felt after World War II. In 1948, they finally returned to their land. And it's not that they took it over. The United Nations, when they divided up the land there after was World War II, they gave them There's a land. process right. going right, yeah. right even prior to 1948. There's a process. You've got the San Remo Conference. You have you know, the, 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 the Balfour Declaration. You have all these things that are going on. This is not like wild people just coming in and grabbing somebody right. else's territory. Um, but in 1948, there is an arrangement, um, and the, whoever was speaking for the Palestinians at that time, that's another thing, too. We talk about the Palestinian people as though there was a, a well-developed people in that land with, a, with its own government. And its own, there wasn't. Own culture. There wasn't. There was no. a hodgepodge. Yep, and a lot of Jewish people still live there. And a lot of Jewish people have always lived there right. uh, over the centuries. So there's tremendous misunderstanding about uh, Israel's position here. 
And I, I, um, I'm also, I mean, I'm concerned too. You have many Palestinian Christian friends. Yeah. How do they look at this? You, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. There are Christian Palestinians and there are Muslim Palestinians, very, two very distinct peoples. But even two days ago, a friend of mine, he's, he lives in the village of Shibli at the base of Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Sh- he sent me a picture of himself in an Israeli uniform. He says, I'm going out to fight for Israel. He is a Bedouin Arab Muslim. Yeah, he's a, a Muslim, and he said, "My older brothers went and fought for Israel in wars before, and I'm going out to fight for Israel yeah. now." And so, not ev- not all Arabs, not all Muslims are against Israel. Those who live there appreciate Israel. Twenty yeah. percent of the population. Yeah, they are is, is Arab, yeah, right? So over in, seven one point seven million people in the land are Israeli yeah, citizens are Arab, and most of them are Muslims. Yeah. So, not all. Arab Muslims are against Israel. Those that live there appreciate Israel, yeah. most of them. It's the ones in Gaza and the West Bank that are protesting mostly. Yeah. But So it's really a sad thing. Hamas is, is just atrocious in what they're doing. And Israel needs to go in and clean out the hornet's nest. They really do once and for all. And the problem is, is that those people in Gaza, they have overwhelmingly voted for Hamas. That's right. And so, you know, we feel sorry for them. Yes, but look at you. You also, choices have consequences. And when you vote people like these terrorists, Hamas, and they know what Hamas is, and they overwhelmingly vote them into power, you know, sometimes you have to live with the choices you make. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I can remember when Hamas was created in 1987, about the time I started this program, 1987. So you're trying to figure out exactly what this is about. And they had the same line that... um, Arafat had at that time, which is they don't recognize uh, Israel's right, right to existence. Right. But they were also involved in a lot of humanitarian efforts, uh, so- social services that they were providing for people. Um, and that, of course, generated goodwill towards them. Yep. And now it's very clear, though, that they had the moral, they, ha- they have the the same moral authority that ISIS has. Yes. None. None. <laughs> and you know, the fact is, is that Israel's not going anywhere. It's a very powerful military country. They are determined. They have no intention to leave that land. That is their land, and they're going to stay there. Yeah. The Palestinians would be very smart to learn to work with Israel instead of against them. Yep. Because that, if you take the money and the brains of the Jews and the resources and the labor of the Palestinians and you put those two together, you'd have one of the most wealthy, prosperous areas of the world. But they have hated Israel more than they love their own kids. That's what I say because they're not – if they would work with Israel, their kids would all have – prosperity and opportunities. But what they're doing now is just setting their kids up to have no opportunities whatsoever. And it's too bad when people hate something more than they love their own kids yeah. to give them the opportunities. As, as is commonly said, uh, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Exactly. They've turned down, um, you know, one of the things, real big difference between the Jewish uh, leaders and the Arab leaders here is that uh, Jewish leaders were willing to settle for a half a loaf when they got it right. and worried about the rest of the loaf later. And, and the yep. Arab leaders always said, we're not going to act. We're not taking it unless you give me the whole thing. Yep. And, and now what they've got is has become less and less yep. over the decades yep. of yep. what's available. Exactly. It's, so it's a sad situation. It's very sad. So we need to pray for it. And yeah. I, I have a lot of friends over there, Jewish and uh, Palestinian. Are they worried? Yeah. Most of them are in the Jerusalem area, which is kind of outside of the range of the rockets or mm-hmm. Nazareth. Um, but but it could ex- escalate now that 
my uh, missiles are coming over from the, the Hezbollah north. in the north, yeah. and yeah. Iraq and Iran are sitting over on the east. Yeah. And um, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. Because when it, when Israel finally does go in, when it finally goes in to clean that hornet nest out, it, that would be interesting to see what happens at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something. <clears throat> it's something remarkable that we're seeing. It's something that requires our prayers and our solidarity with the suffering. Yep. Uh, let's make that clear. Um, yep. But uh, at the same time, uh, there is a history to this discussion. Yep. And, and I support I'm, Israel 100%. Yeah. I'll say that to anybody. I yeah. support Israel in this 100%. Yeah. Uh, likewise. Let's uh, let's talk about the rosary. Yeah. And um, I didn't used to like the rosary, you know, Al. When I was a Protestant, it was uh, no, you it, Catholics are praying these bead, vain bead re- worship, repetitive yeah. prayers, and it's not to Jesus, it's to Mary. And yeah, you're doing double time <laughs> around the rosary, and you got real problems. Yeah. No, I, I had the same attitude towards yeah. it. My mother, who's Catholic, once sent me a devotional guide to saying the rosary, and I can remember writing her back and saying, you know, I'm not interested in this kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of ashamed now. Because yeah. uh, th- 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 she re- she rarely reached out with any religious or spiritual yeah. things. And uh, one time she did it, I, I re- rebuffed it, which I was real jackass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we thought we were doing the right thing. and then, yeah. But the, finally the Lord brought us both around, didn't he, to, yeah. to the Catholic faith. Let's talk about the rosary and its practice. You have a unique perspective on it because you look even at the joyful mysteries and see that there's a two-edged sword there. What I what I like to do, El, is since I've been to the Holy Land so many times, and I like to study Scripture and walking in the land and even the way people live there even today is very similar in some ways to the way they did before. And just look at Mary's life. Um, not just on the surface, but maybe think about it a little more. For example, the the Annunciation, we have that as a joyful mystery. But it also is, there's a other side to that coin of where it could be also a, a sorrowful mystery because she's a 15-year-old girl. She's not married. Now, I'm, this is a big deal among people. They say she was married. Well, even the Gospels say that she had not moved in with Joseph yet. She was married because in, the, in that today we have a marriage ceremony. I went to my niece's wedding on Saturday. She wasn't married. She had that service. She was married. In Israel, there's two. In the, in the Middle East, there's two events. There's the first is the betrothal, where it's a today. If you're betrothed, it has it. It's in the church with the priest, and a thousand family members are there. That's like our engagement, but it's much more formal. You're betrothed. And you become legally married at that point, but you don't move in with your husband to fulfill that marriage for probably at least a year. The consummation remains. Exactly. Yeah. And not only just the consummation, but also the wedding mass. Yes, yes. So you have the wedding mass a year later, and then the the two parts of the wedding are made one, and then you go off on your honeymoon and you consummate it. So Mary had not moved in with Joseph. She was a 15-year-old girl. And... In Nazareth at the time, there couldn't have been more than 250 people living there. Even today, it's 100,000 people. But our friend Amr, who lives there, says everybody knows everything about everybody. <laughs> the, the rumor, the gossip mill, he said, I, I one day, I'll just say this quickly. I know we're short on time. Everybody was calling him while we were on the bus. I said, Amr, why are they all calling you in Nazareth? He said, well, because I just ordered a new red car for my wife. I haven't even told anyone I ordered a red car, but all these people are calling to congratulate me. <laughs> he said, so just imagine. 
imagine, and he says this, just imagine Mary steps out of her cave one day and she's showing that she's pregnant and everybody knows that that marriage has not been finished yet. And they're going to say, Mary, what happened to you? Uh And Mary's going to say, well, I'm pregnant. And they're going to say, "Uh uh-oh. And even Joseph was in that position. Absolutely. And Mary's going to say, well, it was by the Holy Spirit. And they're all going to say, right. (laughs) Now, if I were Mary, I would have said to the angel, dear angel, I will accept this mission God has given me. But will you please tell everyone else in Nazareth what you just told me? Because they're not going to believe it. And even when you get to John chapter 8 of the Gospels, there's a passage there where he's referred to often as the son of Mary and not of Joseph. You're the son of Mary. And that's that's almost a little bit of a slur because the father's not there. But also that one point in John chapter 8, they said, we were not born in in infidelity. We were not born out of wedlock. We're not bastard sons, basically, implying that he is. That's right. So Mary, knowing that she's going to face this gossip and these rumors. When she said yes to the angel, she was very courageous. This, the, the, you've got to think of the Annunciation, not of just as a blessing of the angel telling you you're going to have a baby, but what are the ramifications of saying yes? Is going, in the Old Testament, if you were pregnant out of wedlock, you were stoned. Yeah. yeah. And so also there's another aspect to it too. Mary, I'm sure at this moment said, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a queen. Why? Because it wasn't the wife of the king who was the queen. It was the mother of, and she's just been told that her son is going to sit on the throne of David. There's not been a king on the throne for 600 years. She's going to be the mother of the new king, and a mother is always a queen. So Mary, I thought, I think there's a lot of emotion in that message. And then the big thing is, and then the angel left her. And Mary's sitting there looking and saying, what just happened? No wonder she has... Mom! (laughs) The one is, she ponders these things yeah. in her heart. Yeah. She had to because she was alone. Yeah. Steve, hold it there. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Steve Ray, our topic, Mysteries of the Rosary. We're looking over, well, we just talked about the Annunciation and how there's a lot of emotion going on at that moment. I'm Al Crestel. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Ray. We're talking about the mysteries of the Rosary, and we were well at the, at the Annunciation. This itself could take the rest of the afternoon. Absolutely, because this is such a rich um, event, and we we're talking about Mary's um, the address of the angel uh, to Mary. Uh, you can, you know, he addresses her full of grace, and you can imagine her saying, "Huh," looking over her shoulder. Who's that? Yep. That that word actually, you know, in the rosary we say "Hail Mary, full of grace." That's not it's, we add the word "Mary." There. That's right. It says in in the original "Hail Kahare Tomene." Yeah, the one who is full of grace, and it has two parts to it: one who was full of grace and who still remains in that state today. And grace is the life of God. Yeah. So she is someone who has had the full life of life of God in her, mm-hmm. and it continues at this moment. And it's passive in the sense that it's done to her, not she did it. The Greek language is very precise. So John Paul II says that Mary got a new name just like Peter did. Yeah, yeah. He was Simon. Now he's called Peter. Mary was Mary. Now she's called Kahari Tomene. Yeah. And John Paul II says that's her name in the eyes of God. You, the one that I made full of grace that stays Jeez. that way. 
And for a 15-year-old girl, when an angel approaches, you know, the, the Greek Orthodox have a really interesting tradition. And the actual well where Mary went to was under their church in Nazareth. And they say that Mar- the angel came to Mary and she was afraid and ran back home. She went to really? get water at the well. The angel came and she ran back home. And then the angel came to her and he says, don't be afraid. Yeah. You know, because... She was like, yeah, I mean, I've never met an archangel. I don't know how I'd respond to an archangel, especially if he comes and says. And I also think that the angel came with his wings down and he was he was he was bowing to her. We always see him like approaching her. I think he was he was bowing to her because he knew that little girl who she was. She was going to be his boss someday, the queen of the angels. He knew who she was. (laughs) And he didn't just come and talk to her like a 15 year old. Go, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. (laughs) He came with great reverence because he he saw her as the queen of heaven soon to be and the queen mother. And then to say that the angel, the last verse is so poignant. And then the angel left her and the 15-year-old it's abrupt. Girl, that's an abrupt stopping place. It is. Yeah. And, and he's gone. And she doesn't – she's got – people think because she was the Immaculate Conception, she understands everything. She never got bit by a mosquito. You know, it means it's like she's throat, floating three feet off the ground. Right. She was a, she was a real girl and she did not – understand all the implications right. of that. How do we know she didn't know everything? When they found Jesus in the temple, we have caused us great distress. Why have you done this to your yeah. father? She, they didn't know. They had to walk in by faith like we do. Being full of grace doesn't necessarily mean uh, you are all of a sudden omniscient. No. No, it has <laughs> no, nothing she, to do with that. She's still a 15-year-old girl. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I um, again, Saying, continuing on, you know, we have the visitation that, oh, that follows. This is another hour we could do. Yeah, and so how long? How long is the distance? Well, people says she made haste and went to her relative Elizabeth. First of all, it doesn't say she was his, her aunt. It says she was a kinswoman, kinswoman yeah. which means I think Mary was of the priestly line because Zechariah was a high priest. Elizabeth also. They were from the tribe of Abijah, who was in the Aaronic priesthood line. If Mary is that close of a relative to Elizabeth, then she is also in the line of Aaron, the high priest. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of people say she's from the line of David. She may have been also. But they were very stickly about marrying outside of that if they were pure Aaronic priesthood. John the Baptist's parents were pure Aaronic priesthood. Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth. Therefore, I suspect that Mary had uh, the blood of a priest in her, which means Jesus, through Joseph, gets the tribe of Judah, and from his mother, the tribe of Levi or Aaron, he's priestly and and, priestly. kingly blood. But anyway, she goes, it's a hundred miles, Al, to walk. We do it in a Mercedes bus in two hours. (laughs) And uh, and along the way, when we're driving... She's not out jogging. No, no, no. (laughs) And she had to join a caravan because there's no way a, a, a young girl could walk alone all that way. She had to join a caravan for the safety and the the supplies and everything that went along with that. And so when we're driving in the bus all the way down, I keep reminding people, and don't forget, Mary's still walking. (laughs) Because it's a 100-mile trip from Galilee to Jerusalem. Ein Kerem, where she went, was just maybe four miles west of Jerusalem, out in the hills, the hill country of Judea. And we don't have time to do this today. But if you compare the Ark of the Covenant stories of the Old Testament oh, yeah. and what Luke tells us here. It the parallels are stunning. Unbelievable parallel. Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. Yeah. 
the old ark had the word of God inscribed in stone. Mary is, has a word of God inscribed in flesh in her. She's the ark of the new covenant. Yeah. And uh, this it, this is all happening in the rosary. How can you read the pray the rosary without thinking of Mary, the ark of the new covenant, coming with the word of God inscribed in flesh in her womb? And, and also the pro-life argument. John the Baptist dances before yeah, the covenant. But how big was Jesus? Yeah. How big was he in the womb? Let's say she made haste. Okay, so he took five days to pack her little suitcase before she went there, you know, get her little sandals and everything together, and five days to walk there. So she's 10 days now. How big is baby Jesus in her womb? Right. You still couldn't see him with your naked right. eye. You'd need right. a microscope. And yet John the Baptist leapt in front, and Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my zygote has come to me? No, it's not. <laughs> who is the mother of my Lord? He's already in your womb. At the Annunciation, another thing about that is that's when the incarnation took place. It didn't take place in Bethlehem. That's nine months later when Mary introduced him. But he became man at the incarnate, at the Annunciation. And on the altar there, Nazareth, it says, and the word became flesh here. <laughs> and so Mary already has the word of God, the Son of God, in her womb, even though you couldn't have seen it with your naked eye. And Elizabeth said, who am I that the mother of my Lord, who's already in your womb, has come to me? This yeah. is one of the most strong biblical pro-life arguments yeah, we can I have. agree. I agree. So when you th- pray the visitation mystery, think of these things. Um, and then we have, of course, the birth. The oh, yeah. Nativity. Um, you you uh, raised the question of what tomb they passed yes, uh, entering be- Bethlehem. This is the beauty of proximity and of being in the land and knowing the, where things are. Two uh, thousand years before Mary and Joseph came down the Hebron Road, which is the same road we drive on our bus from Jerusalem into Bethlehem, they were coming along on camels. And Rachel, Jacob's uh, Jacob is Abraham's grandson. She's pregnant, nine months pregnant, coming into Bethlehem. Huh. Now I hope people are starting to go ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and she gets off the camel, gives birth to Benjamin, and she dies mm. in childbirth. And they bury that lady on the side of the road. Now, all the way through, that's interesting because 800 years later, King Saul lost his donkeys and went to the prophet Samuel, said, can you help me find my donkeys? 800 years later, Samuel says, go to the tomb of Rachel. Interesting. And they had yeah. been in Egypt for 450 years. How did they remember where she was? Yeah. They don't forget those things. But the, my point is, Mary and Joseph are now coming down the same road, and she's riding on a beast of burden, and she's nine months pregnant. And Joseph and Mary look over, and they see the tomb of their matriarch. Yeah. And she died in childbirth, the same place Mary's going to give birth to a baby now. Please, Lord, don't let that happen to Mary. Oh, and you say, oh, she doesn't have anything to worry about. She's giving birth to the Son of God. Yeah, then why did the angel come to to Joseph in the cave and say, quickly, quickly, flee to Egypt. Herod's going to kill the baby. There was danger. There wasn't any insurance or security. Joseph had to get up and take her away to Egypt because the baby would have been killed otherwise. We think of them as having perfect equanimity in all these situations, you know, and we we miss the text. Yeah. What the text is clearly saying, that this is a heightened alert. Yes. Y- y- apprehension. And Get, you see that your where your great-grandmother died giving yeah. birth to a baby. Now I'm here with my wife has given birth to a baby. Oh, my goodness. I hope that doesn't happen to me. And you've got to think also in the nativity. What about the money situation? Poor Joseph. He's a poor man. Even when they went to the presentation, which is the next one, 
they they didn't have enough money for a lamb, so they had to bring two pigeons. So Joseph ha- doesn't have a master uh, visa credit card that he can charge it and pay it off later. He's coming down all the way to Bethlehem wondering how he's going to finance all of this. And then God tells him, go to Egypt. And now he's going to say, well, my first thought would have been, Lord, where am I going to get the money to do that? That's a 250-mile journey, and I'm going to be there for 18 months or so until hair die. How am I going to afford that? Yeah. And that's where I think we look back at the wise men who brought those three gifts, gold, incense, frankincense, and myrrh, which would have been worth a small fortune. So that, that becomes the, uh, the, the, the... God's provision the of finance. provision the for the yeah. trip. Uh, but who thinks of that when they pray the nativity, mystery of the nativity? They just think right. of a little baby in a, in a manger. But no, there's so much... What's gold. a manger? So it's a food dish for sheep. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yes, I just last week I gave a talk on this, and I said to the ladies, how many of you... When you gave birth to your baby, wrapped them up and put them in a very uh, into a n- nasty um, manger where sheep slobber all over it, you know, <laughs> spit and slobber all over it, and and you're walking around in little round things on the floor of the cave that look like raisins, but they're not because sheep have been in there all the time. Very unsanitary. But I think Mary put the baby in the manger because she's saying that he's going to become your food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it's a food dish. Mm. And why? And by the way, when you think of the nativity, who, why was the why were the shepherds the first one to be told about the birth of this Jesus? Because the shepherds are always the first to know about the birth of a lamb. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. Um, again, we're going over the mysteries of the rosary with Steve Ray, looking at the nativity presentation, and, and been pointing out aspects of these mysteries which are not immediately apparent to most of us when we're praying them, uh, or even when we read the, of the events themselves in Scripture, the presentation in the temple. Yeah, th- this is... Now, back, she's a 15-year-old girl. She's just got a little pudgy little baby in her hands, 40 days old. All the mothers out there who've had babies know what it's like to hold a 40-day-old baby in your hands. He's already shed his blood for the people already once. Mm -hmm. We think he shed his blood on the cross. He shed his blood at least four times. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He shed his blood for the first time for us as a human being who's come to be a sacrifice. He shed his blood at the circumcision. He shed his blood at the rock at Gethsemane when he sweat drops of blood, when he was whipped and beaten by Pilate. And finally, he lost all of his blood at the cross. So in the presentation of the temple, he's just been circumcised a few days earlier. This is the 40th day. They don't have enough money, the family, Joseph and Mary, to bring a lamb. You're supposed to bring a lamb to offer for this child, you know, for cleansing from the, after the birth. But they don't have enough money. So all of the people out there listening to us right now that are having financial struggles, that aren't making a big enough paycheck to meet their needs, this is what the Holy Family did. They had to bring pigeons because that's all they could afford. Yeah. So here they are very poor, even wondering how they're going to survive maybe the next few days. And then the, this grizzled old prophet comes up to her and he said, this baby of yours will be a contradiction for many, and a sword will pierce your soul also. <laughs> what? Well, what does that mean? Well, good day to you, too. <laughs> we'll come back and continue conversation. Steve Ray, my guest, Mysteries of the Rosary, our topic. We're uh, looking at the joyful mysteries. We're also pointing out some stories that uh, run through these mysteries. We'll come back. Of course, these are the joyful mysteries, but what does uh, uh, what is Mary told here? that a sword will pierce your soul also.
Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta with me, Steve Ray, talking about the mysteries of the rosary, going over some of the angles uh, on the mysteries here that you may not uh, may not immediately jump out at you. But we're at the presentation in the temple. And again, this Mary, 15 years old, uh, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, um, uh, he, he's been circumcised now. And this is under this is a joyful mystery, so this is what makes it a little paradoxical. <laughs> yeah. It's also also the, one of the sorrows of Mary. Yeah. Is, so set right. this up for us. Well, when that when that uh, prophet comes to her and says, "A sword will pierce your soul also," what fifteen year old girl with her brand new little baby is going to have any idea what that means? Yeah. And I think that it says Mary pondered these things in her heart. She treasured all of the things that had happened. She remembered them. I don't think that she realized what that meant until her son was on the cross. And I remember when you came to the Holy Land with us and you got up there, even with your wheelchair and everything, you got up there and you sat there in front of the place where Jesus was crucified and right to the right of that is a statue of Mary with with haunting eyes. It's one of the most unbelievable statues. Uh, it's in a glass case, and there's a big sword going right into her chest. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's where she realized what it meant, a sword will pierce your soul yeah, also, yeah. your heart. Right at Calvary. Yeah. Right up at Calvary, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's the presentation. So there's so many things to think about in the presentation that I mean, are just beyond that Mary just brought the baby to the temple. She grew in meaning. Her understanding grew yeah. th- throughout the, the life of Jesus, I'm sure. And... Um, uh, Let's uh, let's go to the finding in the temple. You referred to that earlier, uh, which is a good example that she's still figuring, trying to figure these things exactly. out. Exactly. So she's got a twelve-year-old boy. They go to the temple. They're on their way home. And by the way, we're all the big hubbub about a synod these days. The word synod is only, is used one time in the Bible. It's the word synodia. And it's in this passage of finding Jesus because it says that when they went back the first day when they came together at night, Joseph and Mary came together. That means the men and the women traveled separately. The women were in a group and the men were in a group. And at night, the families came back together. And Mary says, where is Jesus? And Joseph said, I thought he was with you. And she said, no, I thought he was with you. Oh, my goodness, we've lost the Son of God. (laughs) (laughs) And it distressed them because it even says that she was distressed. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, why have you treated us like this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you with great distress. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know. She she had to learn things yeah. as she went along. Why would, for just real quickly, why would they have lost her? Because Jesus, him, because Jesus was 12. And a boy goes through bar mitzvah at that time. When you're a little boy, you travel with the women and the children. When you become bar mitzvah age, you travel with the men. Jesus is right in the middle. Mary thought right. that she was with the men. The men thought she he was still with Mary. And so they had to go back and find him. And here he is discussing these things with the the top-notch professors of the University of Jerusalem, so to speak. And she doesn't understand. She even says, I don't understand. And he says, don't you know I'm in my father's house? Which is another thing that this should teach us is that the temple and the Jewish people is not something to be discarded like your guest was on just before me, yeah, Mr. Feingold. Um, because they, Jesus said, I love that this is my father's house. He didn't say, I've come now, so just get rid of it. He said, I'm here because I love my father's house. Don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? Yeah. 
So there's so much going on even at the finding in the temple, which is when you pray, when the, um, this is a joyful mystery, but it's also a sorrowful when you do the, the state, the a devotion of the Doloros, the seven sorrows the of seven Mary. The seven sorrows, yep. Is losing Jesus in the temple is one of the sorrows. And so can you imagine you're almost 24 hours you have no idea where that son is and that. Oh, any of us who think we've displaced <laughs> one of our kids knows what adrenaline pump goes into yes, our Yes, and you'd bodies. say, but it was a different society. They didn't have to worry. But yeah, but look at the Good Samaritan story of the man who went down and he was bushwhacked and yeah, robbed. And yeah. people did those kind of things back in those days, too. That's right. So you had to be afraid for your kids. Yeah. Let's uh, let's jump to the Luminous Mysteries, see if we can get a few of those in. All right. um, the Baptism in the Jordan. Uh, this is, uh, again, the luminous mysteries that John Paul II uh, formalized as part of the rosary. Uh, starts out with this baptism in the Jordan. Uh, this, is, this is a moment in history that I wouldn't believe if it hadn't been written. I would have said, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. Right, exactly. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah, Why yeah. did he do that? Part of it is he's prefiguring what's going to happen to him. So again, a joyful thing being baptized also has its negative side because even in Christian theology, going down into the water means you've died and you're being raised to new life when you come out. And Jesus, this baptism is telling us what's going to happen, that it's a prefiguration of him dying for us. And then he's going to be raised back up out of the water yeah. by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in a way, this is also sorrowful because it's reminding him of what's going to happen to him in three years. That's right. That he's going to be killed and <clears throat> buried. And, and shortly, I mean, and shortly after his baptism, uh, we've got temptation yeah. in the wilderness in the beginning of the public ministry. Yep. So this is kind of a DNA. Uh, baptism is dying, rising to life. Yep. Yeah. And it's exactly right. And it's also, it's the revealing of the Trinity in a very palpable way yeah. because you have Jesus the Son and you have the voice from the Father coming down. He, in a way, he's anointing him through the hands of John the Baptist, who's 100% Aaronic priesthood. So he, and, and in fact, the book of Acts says that Jesus was anointed by John at the river. He's a priest putting it, he's a priest baptizing Jesus. So this is very significant. Which is also the the anointing. It is anointed. Yeah. That's where Jesus was anointed. As what? As a as a uh a prophet. No, he's anointed as a priest here because at Mount Tabor the voice of God announced him as the prophet. Listen to him and in John chapter 12 when he's riding the the donkey and like Solomon the king, yep, yep. it's the voice of God there says I have glorified my name and will glorify it again. Three times God spoke from heaven, and each time it confirms Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Amen. So Beautiful. here at the river, he's he's declaring him as the priest, with John the Baptist, 100% ironic priesthood, is the one who's there doing the service. And the Holy Spirit comes down, so you have the three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all there confirming the life of Jesus. And some people say that Jesus didn't know what, who he was until that happened. That's a bunch of baloney. Yeah. Jesus knew from the very first moment that who he was, that he was sent on a mission from God. And, and that lastly, why? There's, this is another whole. This is the lowest place on the face of the earth, by the way. I think it's really interesting that Jesus goes to the very lowest place on the earth to eventually take us all the way up to the highest into heaven. That is great. This is 1,250 yeah. feet below sea level. If Everest is the highest place, this valley, the Jordan River, is the lowest on the face of the earth. Why? 
did the Pharisees come down? And oh, and by the way, it says all of Jerusalem came down yeah, to see him. Yeah. It's like all have this sinned, was, you know. This the, was a big deal. It was. And it's 25 miles from Jerusalem down to the sea. And you go down 4,250 feet. And then you got to go all the way back up that 4,000. Yeah. And it's going to take you two or three days to get down there walking. So to say that all of Jerusalem went down to see John, he's no, he's on the headlines of the Jerusalem Post every day. This guy is. He's they, they, And they say, are you Elijah? Why? Because Elijah wore a camel hair robe and a leather belt. John the Baptist wore a camel hair robe and a leather belt. The only two in the Bible that it says that about. And Elijah was assumed into heaven from that exact same place. Mm -hmm. John chose the clothes he wore and where he baptized so that you would relate him to to Elijah. Why? Because the last prophet, Malachi, the last thing he says is, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, Elijah will return. Jesus said, in case you don't know, John the Baptist was the Elijah who is to return. Just look at the way he's dressed. Look where he is. And the Pharisees went there and they, they said, you know, there's the hill where Elijah went up into heaven. This guy looks just like him and he sounds like him. He said, they said to him, are you Elijah? He went up from here. Did you just come back down? Yeah. yeah. And all of this is happening at the baptism. There's so much happening at the baptism. And by the way, the Essenes who are less than three miles away in the city of Qumran don't think they didn't know about Jesus first because John the Baptist was associated with the yeah. Essene community. He would have gone right over and said, look at I just... The dove came down on this guy. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It is interesting. Uh, they had to know what was going on. Yeah, they had to. Yeah. They were looking for the Messiah. Yeah. So was, this is. Uh, we, do we have any clear references to any of the Essenes in the New Testament? Well, they they Jesus had his home, his Last Supper in the home of an Essene, mm-hmm. because they went in the Essene gate to get to where he was going. And it says, look for a man who's carrying a jar of water. Now, if you don't know the land and the culture, that doesn't mean anything. But when you understand the context of things, women carried water. Men didn't carry water. Yeah, so there's a sign, a signature right there. You would never find a a man carrying a jug of water. That was a woman's job. But it was a celibate community. The Essenes didn't marry. And they were celibate, so they... Had a man had to go get the water for their community because they didn't have women in it. Right. Very good. So th- th- this is – and the whole aspect of the – there's a great book by John Bergsma called Jesus yeah. and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, and, great um, book. And he shows how more and more as we study the scrolls, we see, especially in the Gospel of John, how Jesus and John the Baptist were thoroughly – um, influenced by the Essene community at Qumran and their spirituality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that is a great book. Um, I recommend it highly too. Um, let's see, we've got about three minutes left, <laughs> and we're in the. And we've only gotten into the yeah, first. Let's go. Six. Let's just go to the wedding feast of Cana. Okay, we'll stay in order here. Um, you point out that Mary bookends the ministry of Jesus. I yes. think that's beautiful. In the Gospel of John especially, yeah. and I, you know, I have a commentary on John, which I loved writing. And it's it, the two times Mary is mentioned there. And I used to, as a Protestant, say, well, the Bible didn't mention Mary so much. You guys make way too big of a deal of her. <laughs> but I would say now that it's not always how often she's mentioned right. because Mary took a back seat. She was a quiet, contemplative woman. But it's where she's mentioned sometimes that's... that are most important. She is mentioned the first time at Cana, where Jesus is still not known. Right. And she says, 
do whatever he tells you. Now, this is interesting. She wants a miracle. She says they have no wine. He knows exactly what she's, t- she's telling him to do. And he said, my hour hasn't come, no, mom. She doesn't even talk to him. She ignores him. She goes over to the servants and she, she kind of like just waved at her son. She went over to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. And then she walked out and slammed the door, which means do what I told you, son. Mm-hmm. And in the Middle East, nobody disobeys their mother. She mm-hmm. is that she is. The father may be de facto head of the family, but the mother is the heart of the family. And just like in my big fat Greek wedding, when they said, "Let the husband say he's the head," that's okay. But we women, <laughs> we the neck, and we tell the head which yeah. way to turn. Yeah. See, and this is the women in the Middle East. They're the, they're the ones that control things really. And so she tells Jesus to start his earthly ministry even though he says no. And in verse 11, at the end of this passage, and then his disciples saw his glory, his first sign, and they believed in him. And from that moment on, Jesus went out to serve his heavenly father in his ministry. And what does that mean? A moment of sorrow for Mary. When she said, do whatever he tells you, I'm convinced she had tears coming down her eyes because she said, Goodbye, son. Well, he ties it to the, his hour. That's right. So he ties it to his death. Yep. When Mary said, do whatever he does, and he does the first miracle, the clock is ticking now. Yep. This, the, the, time, the clock or the timer, tick, 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 mm-hmm. ticking mm-hmm. towards the... But not and only she'll that. she'll be there. Yeah, and she'll be there. That's the end. She's bookends, the beginning of his earthly ministry and the last moment of his earthly ministry. But during that three years, she's lost her son. He doesn't come home with her and have dinner anymore. She doesn't walk with her through Nazareth listening to the birds. He's out now surrounded by people, and she lost her son. She said goodbye to him at Cana with tears in her eyes. Great. Steve, thanks. You're Uh, welcome. We'll do this again next week. Okay. Stay with us uh, while we're still in the month of October. Good. Let's do it. I'd love it. Steve Ray, again, will be with us next week to continue our look at the mysteries of the rosary. 